and it is great to be with you this morning. Today we're going to be uh, looking at a little bit of a master class from the Bible. But has anyone ever seen this online program, the master class? The master class is this online video tutorial where you can sort of study all these interesting subjects with the best of the best in their fields. You can, of course, see some familiar faces probably on the screen, but you can take things like writing from Margaret Atwood. You can take science from Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield. You can take drumming from Ringo Starr. You can take basketball from Steph Curry. I mean, there's all these different experts who have learned along the way some pretty incredible things, and, and then you can sit down with them to hear what they have to say and, and to sort of teach you and guide you in all of these different areas. Well, today what we're doing is maybe not doing that by video unless you're watching at home, but we're going to be studying a master's class from the Bible from a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he is someone who surely had to learn from some hard experiences to get him to a place where one day he was able to get up and give one of the greatest sermons ever spoken. And he encourages all those who would follow after him, and especially those who would follow after Jesus, with these words that are found in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now today we're going to be studying Peter's first sort of takeoff in this direction where he first was able to share with other people the hope that he had and the hope that they would in turn come to have. But this came after a history of trying and failing. If you know the story of Peter, you might know that he wasn't always uh, great at following through with following God. In fact, one time when Jesus was walking on the water, he said, hey, Peter, come on, jump out here, join me. And Peter hopped out, experienced the miraculous for a few steps until he panicked and started to sink and drown. Peter, this guy who says, I want you to go serve people with gentleness and respect, was the same guy who whipped out a sword and tried to cut someone's head off because they were coming after Jesus. Peter is a guy who's had a lot of ups and downs. He's had a lot of hot and cold. In fact, right before Jesus was to be crucified, Jesus had told his disciples, you guys are going to abandon me. And Peter said what? No way, no how, Jesus, I'm with you. A couple hours pass by, and what does he do? Denies Jesus three times. So Jesus is, or Peter's gone through all of this as he's tried to follow Jesus, but then miraculously, Jesus is able to restore Peter back into being a man of conviction, one who he will follow. And when God gives his Holy Spirit to all his followers, Peter is one of those people who's able to go from this path of trying and failing to being the person who God builds 
the church upon in many ways, and he's the one who's able to stand up in the passage that we read today in front of thousands of people and declare who Jesus is. And why I share all that back story for you is for this. If God can take a guy like Peter, who's gone through those ups and those even steeper downs, and is able to use him and the word that he says, surely he can use you and I. Surely we can even be the ones who would go and share the hope that we have in a powerful and effective way so that others would be able to follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this message that Jesus gives, or that Peter gives today about Jesus, and then we're going to look at different components that will sort of mine for us to be able to take as we share about our faith. So if you've got a Bible, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. So right here, Pentecost has just happened. Holy Spirit has come on to Jesus' disciples. They've gone out into Jerusalem, where all these tens of thousands are gathered, and they began to speak in tongues. They're speaking in languages that they do not know themselves and people are hearing for the very first time all about Jesus and what God has done through him. And a lot of them are amazed, but a whole bunch more are just standing there going, are these guys drunk? If you don't believe me, you can go back to verse 13. But they're standing there. It's nine in the morning saying, what's going on with these guys? Are these guys drunk? And then we have verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. These are the 11 apostles that have followed Jesus for all these years. And he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Coach Joel, he says, In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you know for yourselves. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David even said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me. 
to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to today. But he was a prophet. He knew that God, would promise, that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. So seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has re- received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you see and hear now. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were all cut to the heart. They said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? To which Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off from all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is an incredible message. I mean, Peter covers all the bases of what the people gathered in the city of Jerusalem needed to hear. If we remember last week, we looked at how all these people who uh, were of Jewish descent had come and gathered in Jerusalem because they were coming for a feast, an annual pilgrimage. And then when the Holy Spirit comes out, Peter says, this is what we've been told about. This is what is supposed to be coming. This is what you've been waiting for. And all through as he's doing this, he connects the dots for the people so that they can receive what they need from God's Holy Spirit. And that day, about 3,000 people turn in faith and respond. They repent, which means they turn the way that they were living and start going in another direction towards Jesus. And they are baptized just as Jesus was to identify themselves as followers of him. Now, you and I, we, we, we may never have that story. Probably a lot of us would never want that story. We would never want to get up and, and stand in front of thousands of people and have to have the pressure of giving this message. But whether or not we ever have that experience or want that experience, Jesus has called everyone who will be his follower to do something, to go out into the world and to share who he is, to teach them all about his way and how to obey the life and teachings of Jesus so that they can receive everything God wants for them, so that they can have a flourishing life for now and into eternity. The problem, though, is a lot of us sit there and we think, I don't know how to do this. 
Anyone a little bit scared about going out and sharing your faith in this way? That's all right. It's fair. I saw a few hands. Thanks for your honesty. I mean, this is something a lot of us face. And last week when we looked, we, we looked at why we could have confidence. We can have confidence because the Holy Spirit is with us. He's ahead of us. He's behind us. He leads and guides us. He empowers us. It's actually him doing the work through us. But still, even though when we hear that, we sometimes get to the moment where there's an opportunity and it's easier to back off because it's scary. So my hope today is that instead of feeling that fear or that pressure of not what, knowing what we can say, we can look at what Peter did and sort of contextualize it for our situation. There's five basic components in Peter's message that every one of us can adopt for sharing the Christian faith. For starters, he, he started with a real question. Then he shared the life of Christ, and he showed how it connected with the people before him. Before he explained to them that they could see Jesus' death as a victory, and then he stopped, and he called them to respond. And so there's these five key components that we see as we work through this message. The first is that Peter just began by answering a very real question. In verse 14 to 16, we read that Peter stood up and raised his voices and said, fellow Jews, all of you who are living in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. These people aren't drunk. Now that seems kind of funny. I snicker when I read this because it's this strange piece of and story of the Bible, but this was real stuff that happened. The people were seeing everything that was taking place in front of them, and so they had some questions. It was amazing, but it didn't really make sense. Some were like, this is fascinating. There's clearly something happening. Others went, this is fascinating. People are doing drunken gibberish. And so what Peter did in that moment is he stood up and he addressed the questions people were asking. This is actually the pattern that we'll see through all of the sermons in the book of Acts as we study it. In every single one of the messages that someone gives to his people, the different apostles and church leaders will always end up just coming in on the question. This is an important thing when we come to share our faith. What are the questions that the people are asking? It's been my experience that many of us, including myself, have often started off on the wrong foot when we want to share our faith. We come in with an agenda, we have an assumed set of questions, and we come in and just sort of barrage into a conversation. Well, when that happens, what happens? People, guards up, right? Hands are out, walls are built, we do not want to have that. And sadly, because this has happened time and time again, many of us have come to this place where we believe that the people outside of the church, outside of religious worlds, don't want to have discussions about things of faith. But that could not be further from the truth. Just a few years ago, there was a study done across Canada of people who were, would consider themselves secular, people of no faith. And it was found that 80% of non-Christians in Canada said, I would love to talk about issues of life and faith if a family or friend would come and answer my questions. 
One of the things that we've done wrong is we've jumped ahead to answering their questions for them and seeing what we think they need to hear that day. But perhaps what we need to do is become people who are sensitive to those that we are near and dear with. And we need to listen for opportunities for them to talk about not just questions of faith, but things that are going on in the world. I think we'd be surprised how many people have big questions because of the war and economic crisis that are happening today, where really those questions are leading to a spiritual root. If we could come in and begin to address those questions from our Christian worldview, we would begin to open up a lot of doors for people to hear about the Christian faith. And so that's what Peter does. He begins to just answer the question about what's going on in the city, and then he begins to share the life of Christ. In verse 22 to 24, we read, fellow Israelites, this is Peter saying this, listen to this, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony of death, because it is impossible to keep it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, I have some suspicion that probably Jesus actually ended up, or Peter ended up expanding a little bit more on Jesus here, and what we have is a bit of a condensed message. But what Peter does is he says, you got all these questions, let's go back to the start. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. You've been watching him, you've been seeing him as he's been traveling all around our community. He's done these incredible things. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's had incredible conversations that have turned people's lives around. And what he's doing there is he's bringing hope and healing to the lives of all these people. That same Jesus is the one who ends up going to the cross. And he explains that because of the people, he was crucified. But then not only did he die, but because of God's plan and power, he was raised from the dead. One of the things I think we often miss out on when we share about faith is actually explaining who this person is that we want people to follow. We're not just inviting people when we share our faith into a belief system. We're certainly, hopefully, not inviting them just into a list of rights and wrongs. We're inviting people into a relationship with a God who's powerful, who cares, shows compassion, and wants to be with them. There's no better way to invite people into that relationship than to share not just the person, but the character and the purpose of what Jesus accomplished on the earth. We need to give them the why that they might want to be with him. It's easy as for us, especially as those who have been Christians for a long time, to forget that people today are increasingly unaware of who Jesus is. Cultural Christianity is on the decline. People's understanding of the Bible and Scripture, what church is, what we do here, who Jesus is, the man we follow and worship, it's on the decline. Now, some people will look at that and say, hey, that's a problem. But I don't think it's a shame. I actually think it's a great opportunity. 
because people aren't anesthetized to the reality of who Jesus is. Some people who've grown up in this cultural Christianity say, yeah, I kind of have a, a conception about that guy and I'm not that big of a fan. But when it's new, when it's life-giving, there's something that gives people an opportunity to change. If we would only explain who Jesus was in a very meaningful way, describing not just what he did, but why he did it, I believe that we would see more people experience life change. And what the, the key to that is, and what we see Peter did, is he didn't just share Jesus, but he somehow connected Jesus with them. We have to take it beyond just, just giving people this front load of information and assuming something's going to happen, but we have to help them see why this could matter to them in their day to day. In verse 17 to 21, we saw that Peter explained how what they were witnessing was the fulfillment of one of their great prophets, this guy named Joel. He also explained later on that what they were seeing were the prophecies that King David had written that were so meaningful. And so basically, while we might not get all of this, the, the Jewish people would have understood very clearly. Jesus is being taught as being our Messiah. The Jewish people are under Roman occupation. They're waiting for the, the chosen one of God who would come and be their next great king, coming from the, the lineage of King David. They believe that God had sent these prophets to tell them that one day God would come to do an incredible thing, and they were waiting. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were wondering, and they actually built their entire annual calendar around these traditions of waiting and celebrating and questioning, and, and, and their whole life existence was going on in this. And so Peter explained how Jesus met their very need, how Jesus was answering the prayers that they've been praying as a people for centuries. The same thing is what we need to do. Well, we might not be speaking to a Jewish audience who's sitting there going, when is God going to send his chosen Messiah? Every single person is looking for something. Every single person needs something. The question is what? And how does Jesus address that? Why does Jesus care about that very thing? This is one of the reasons why as a church we say that we, we, we celebrate relational evangelism. You know, it's one thing to go out and just share our faith blindly. It's a whole other thing to go and share our faith very intentionally with the people that God has brought us to. You and I, we all have relationships with different people, and I think it's important to share our faith. We share our faith because if we care about those people, we want to give them what's most important to us. We want to have that in common. We want to, to share the thing that has meant so much and brought us meaning. But the reason this one-to-one -one evangelism is really effective is because it's not just blindly throwing things at them, but we can hear their needs and in our compassion towards their need, in God's compassion of that need, we're able to help them to see how God can fit and move and meet them in their very needs how much time do you spend 
with those people who you care about, who you want to share your faith with? How much time do you actually spend not just talking at them, but listening to them for understanding what is missing? I think if we spent more time doing that, as we began to feed in the good news of who Jesus is and what he could mean, there would be a much greater receptivity. Because it's not just a, a what you need, it's a why you need it and how it fills that need. And that's where Peter moves to this great moment of explaining that Jesus' death is victory. And all of us need to do this. Peter chooses to celebrate Jesus' death as victory. And this is a wild thing. This is a wild thing to the Jewish people because the Jewish people, death is, is not something where you would find victory. In fact, a lot of Jewish people ended up saying that because Jesus died on a cross, there was no power in that man. And so what does Peter do? He explains that yes, while he died, it was all part of God's plan so that God can do something even greater. And he celebrated. He celebrated what Jesus did so that people would see that even in death, there's a hope for life. One of the things that most people fear most is death. And rightfully so. If you did not know what happened beyond the grave, you would be terrified. If you came to Faith later in life beyond being a child, you probably might remember those questions that are bigger. What happens when I die? What is this all amounting to? Well, the good news of who Jesus is is that he didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he rose to life so that we could be saved with him. We need to celebrate Jesus' death as victory without that everything we share up until that point is meaningless jesus could have been a great guy who was a great teacher he could have checked some of the boxes for what people were wanting but unless he died on the cross to take on the sins of the world unless he rose again so that people could put their faith and trust in him and have new life it was all for nothing but the good news is there was profound meaning in what Jesus accomplished. Now, many of us, we can get to this point at some point when we share our faith, but it's the next component that Peter does, which is often where we stop short of the line. I think a lot of us can get to a place where, yeah, we, we may eventually overcome our fear of, of sharing what's meaningful to us. Yes, we, we might be able to articulate a few core truths, but where we end up stopping short is actually offering a call to respond. We need to stop at the call to respond, not before it. We see in verses 38 to 39, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, repent and be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And so that you can receive the Holy Spirit too. This is the promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off from all who the Lord our God will call. 
What Peter did is he made a very obvious connection for the people. That need you have, it has an answer. But in order for those two things to come together, you need to turn from the way you're living and come to Jesus. To be baptized is to, to identify with Jesus, to symbolically go through this step to show that, yes, I believe. Yes, I too have been washed clean by what Jesus has done, and that is something we need to present to the world. There is a hope, and it's found by believing and turning our lives towards Jesus and being obedient to the things he calls us to do. My hope is that none of us will ever get to a place where we stop short of this. We can't stop short of this call because that's the part people ever, forever will need. You know, we get so worried about rejection and unbelief that I think that's what calls us, that, uh, causes us to fail the call of Jesus in our life. But that's when we need to remember all that has happened before this. That's when we need to go back and, and pay attention to what happened at the beginning of chapter 2 where, where God poured out his Holy Spirit on every single disciple and he said, this is the, disciple, this is the Holy Spirit for all of you who will believe and it is through him that all my plans will be accomplished you and i we have this call this great thing that jesus wants for us to have as a purpose for our lives but he doesn't just give it to us on our own and when we face the the potential fear of rejection we must remind ourselves that we're not the ones being rejected but it's God who will, and it's God who will deal with that ultimately. But we also have to remember that it's not hanging on us and our words and our charisma and our perfect speech, but it is the Holy Spirit who's working in you and me to make this message known to everyone he will call to himself. Will we do it? We take Peter as our example and live up to the call of Jesus and share boldly with passion and conviction and love the very thing people need. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. But before we do that, what I want to invite us to do is to actually respond to that call ourselves. Today we're taking communion, and communion is an opportunity for every single one of us to respond to what God has done. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had a final supper with his disciples, and he invited them to the table, and he showed them that there was symbolism in, in the things that they would eat and drink. And so what Jesus did is, is he invited his disciples to hear the truth of what he could mean. For you and I, the message that Peter gave, the message that I'm going to read articulated from Paul about what Jesus said that day, are, are invitations for us also to believe. If you're in this place and you find yourself not knowing what 
purpose could look like, if you're, you're finding yourself lost with big questions, the invitation is at hand for you to believe. Jesus has come to be a guide, to be a great teacher who would show you the way towards life. But not only did he teach, but he made the way. Jesus knew that you and I would be sinful people who would go against the way of God and that way would lead our life towards death and destruction and eternal separation from the God who created us and loves us. And so knowing that we couldn't pay the debt, knowing that we couldn't go all the way on our own, Jesus came to die for you and me. And so Jesus was there as God orchestrated everything, just as, God, uh, just as Peter said, that God had this deliberate plan that Jesus would be handed over by wicked men like you and me to bleed on the cross, to breathe his last so that he could die the death you and I deserve to receive. But the great news is that Jesus didn't stay in that grave that he rose to life once again so that if we would put our faith and trust in him, even though we would die a physical death one day, we would be received into God's family and that we would get to experience the fullness of his love and presence and forgiveness and mercy and grace, not just now, but forevermore for all of eternity. This is the invitation for you now. Turn your life around and believe. God has great things in store, full of purpose, full of meaning, and it will give you joy and hope through all things. For those of you who have yet to be baptized, I hope that you would hear the call of Peter that Jesus wants his followers to publicly identify themselves as his people we do that by going through the process of baptism baptism isn't what saves us but it's an invitation for us to symbolically be dunked under water to show what god how god has made us clean to show us how we have died to our old selves and ride as anew in jesus it's a celebration that we take uh, very seriously that we love it's one of the most exciting days in the life of our church because we get to see the day people publicly believe if you've yet to be baptized but you follow jesus i would encourage you to reach out to me this week we would love to baptize you next week or the week after or any week that you're available because we believe in baptism as such a special and important moment But for everyone else, for all of us, even if you haven't been baptized, this is for you. We invite you to come to the table. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26, Paul says this. He says, this is what I received from the Lord and I pass on to you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you take and eat in remembrance of me then after they had dinner he took the cup and he said this cup is a new covenant which is made in my blood drink it and whenever you drink it do so 
in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So as we prepare ourselves to go out into the world to share the faith, let us proclaim first what God has done in here. In a moment after I pray, all the stations will open up. There's three at the front, two at the back. We'd invite you to go to one of those stations and receive the bread and the cup. Spend time thanking God for what he has done. Reflect on what sacrifice he made for you and me, and then I'll come back up after our song and we'll take the elements together. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that we have something to believe in. God, I thank you that we have something to have hope in, and that is you and you alone. God, I thank you that you were willing to, to have your body broken, to have your blood poured out so that we would not have to die and experience separation from you. Heavenly Father, it is just such, such a difficult place to be without you. But God, we know that we don't have to remain there. And so God, now as we come to the communion table, as we come to receive these elements, God, I pray that you would do something to make them as powerful of symbols for us today as they were back then. We remember your body broken, your blood shed, and we thank you for them. We pray this in your name. Amen.